0: Wait, is this the last sermon of the book of Luke? So today, we finished the Gospel of Luke. Woo! I mean, three and a half years ago, we began a journey through the story of Jesus, according to Luke. And, you know, it's a goal of mine to go through the story of Jesus at least every five years. So maybe in 2026, we'll do another one, maybe the book of Mark. The fact that it took us over three years to get us through the story of Jesus, it kind of excites me because scholars agree that Jesus, his adult time ministry was about three years long. So for those of you wondering how it must have been and how must have felt to be a disciple of Jesus, at least in terms of length of time, you've got a similar experience. Okay, so the final portion of Luke is the author's final attempt to teach you something. It's his way of saying, if you haven't caught on to my point yet, this is my last chance to spell it out for you. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in Jesus' life, but Luke, he chose to include these specific events and teachings and decided to exclude others. That's why we have different variants of the story of Jesus with different stories. See, Luke, he even ordered these events in a specific way so that his point is made clear. So, what is the main point of Luke's version of Jesus' story? Well, today, I'm going to be giving you a summary of the entire book so you can see what the main point was, like you can see the progression. Then, we'll conclude this sermon with the final 10 verses of this biography. So, without further ado, here is the summary of the Gospel according to Luke. So a long time ago, 2,000 years ago from where we are right now, on the other side of the globe in a place called Israel, a baby was born into a humble environment. There was a mother who had been branded an adulteress, and a father who decided to stick with her through it all. Now through normal eyes, he's just a baby born into a shunned carpenter family, but Luke begins this story by painting a portrait that helps us see the signs that he was actually more than just a baby. He is Jesus, the Son of God, and for some odd reason, only the people who are considered weak, in that society seem to take notice. For example, there were some shepherds that recognized who Jesus really was. And at the temple, there was this old man who recognized the significance of this newborn baby. Then in his adult life, we see Jesus act as a teacher or they called a rabbi. It seemed that wherever he went, he taught everyone how to live a radically upside down life. He taught things like, hey, befriend your enemies instead of hating them. Another controversial teaching was that in those cultures, people wrongfully believed that people got sick, people were poor, people got bad crops, people couldn't have babies, all because God turned his back on them. So Jesus taught everyone that no, God loves you and that we should care for these people as well. He kept on insisting that we Our hearts are in line with God's heart if we are able to see the image of God in every single person. He traveled through many towns revealing that this is the kingdom of God that he is spreading, and it's now beginning to unfold right before their eyes. But teaching this simple yet controversial message, it wasn't the only thing he did. You see, because he also performed signs and wonders. And as people began seeing more and more of these miracles, they began to believe that he was... Well, he was the king that was foretold in the Old Testament, Uh, they call that the Messiah. But a problem arose when we realized that the people who recognized him as Messiah already had a preconceived notion as to what a Messiah was supposed to be. You see, they believed that the Messiah was a militant leader. They believed that he was here to lead an army of Jews to take down the people of power and privilege. And by that, we're talking about the rich people, the Roman rulers, the religious authorities. So Jesus' followers, they started to believe that they were here to rescue them from these oppressors and establish a brand new kingdom at all costs. Now, yes, Jesus was here to establish a brand new kingdom, a kingdom of peace, but he had no intention of doing this through the means of war. I mean, otherwise, he'd be just as corrupt as any elite class of that day. Now, while all this was happening, the religious rulers felt threatened by Jesus' message. In a long parable starting in chapter 14, Jesus revealed that these religious rulers were actually driven by power and money. I mean, they could quote all the scriptures they want, but they were really criminals. He then declared that the kingdom of God actually belonged to the poor and the excluded. He even included in his teachings a way to be rich and powerful in God's new kingdom which is by serving the least of these in love. In chapter 19 Jesus walks into the temple that's the headquarters of of the corrupt system that Jesus is trying to fix and he confronts them by telling them that they are criminals who are cloaking themselves in religion. So being offended by this? and before Jesus can do any more damage to their reputation, the religious rulers, they captured Jesus and using every trick in their arsenal, they try to get the Romans to execute Jesus. The Jewish leaders told the Romans that Jesus is trying to start a rebellion and defy the Roman authorities, which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus was trying to do. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught that everyone should love their enemies, which were the Romans, and pay their taxes, which benefited the Romans, and uh, established a new kingdom by caring for the marginalized. But, by utilizing social pressure, their scheme worked. Jesus was flogged, beat down, and executed on the cross. Now, here's the interesting thing. The methods in which Luke paints this story, it indicates that Jesus is being attacked by every angle, by everything that is evil. I mean, we're talking about the government that's afraid of losing power, uh, the people who switch allegiances just because it benefits them at that time, the dark spiritual forces that are trying to suppress God's kingdom from unfolding, the people who are willing to ignore the humanity and others for the sake of making a quick buck. It's like all of these evil forces were coming in on Jesus, and then on that Good Friday, Jesus is finally put to death in the ugliest way imaginable. Now, any human being on the receiving end of this amount of evil would have either retaliated, um, gotten bitter, or would have just died in defeat. But in chapter 23, we discover that Jesus continues to love, pour out grace, forgive his enemies to his final breath. It seems that the more that the enemies try to knock down Jesus, the more light he shined. The worst blow by the enemy became Jesus' greatest victory. Then in the final chapter, that's chapter 24, Jesus proves his victory over everything that is evil by rising from the grave. But people didn't seem to recognize him. So that's a brief summary of what's been happening up to the last paragraphs of the book of Luke. So in the final lines, the author Luke, this is what he writes. He that's Jesus, said to them, that's his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. That's code for Old Testament. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Here, Luke, the author of this book, he's reiterating the main theme, which is that Jesus is king, but he's a counterintuitive king. He seems to gain victory through weakness, through self-sacrifice. The victory comes through generosity, giving things away, through selfless love. And he adds that this upside down strategy was foretold in the Old Testament. Now, you think that people who read and memorized the Old Testament would recognize it when it was unfolding right before their eyes, right? Well, unfortunately, sadly, they didn't. They missed it. You see, many didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah because they believed that victory was gained through power, wealth, control. It's as if they missed the mission and the works of God right before their eyes because they were blinded by greed. And so Luke adds to this theme by also asking this question. How did Jesus stay humble, pure, loving, gentle, kind, joyful, patient, innocent, and not lose himself in the midst of this whole turmoil? I mean, we certainly would have folded a long time ago. If you look at humanity as far back as you could go, you'll discover that whenever evil is thrown upon somebody, Humanity tends to reflect that same evil, sometimes twofold, threefold, tenfold, back into society. I mean, when somebody curses us, we curse right back at them. If somebody hurts us, we may not hurt them back, but we're wishing something bad upon them, right? But Jesus didn't. He instead absorbed the evil and died with it. So Luke is assuming that his readers are pretty much aware of the human condition. That when the world keeps throwing us curveball after curveball of evil deeds, that we're incapable of reflecting love into this world. When Jesus tells us that that he's serious about the fact that we need to become like him, and on top of that, he wants us to share this message with the world, the big question mark that we have in our heads is, how do we do that, Jesus? We're not like you. We can't reflect love into this world in the way that you did. And so, Jesus gives us an answer in the last few sentences of the book of Luke. He says, you are witnesses of these things. That means, hey, you saw the way I view this world. You had front row seats when the world poured darkness on me. Not not to mention that, that you disciples participated in that darkness when you abandoned me. And what poured out of me, only love. He continues, I'm going to send you what my father had promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So wait, what did Jesus just say? He said that he's gonna send them something that he promised and that thing that he promised is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's saying, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and the word that he associated with the Holy Spirit in the verse we just read, is that this Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and give you power. But this is where a lot of Christians get this wrong. You see, a lot of times we think, oh, like the Holy Spirit's gonna come here and give us power, and we start assuming what this power is. The reason why I've summarized the entire book of Luke is because I wanted to demonstrate to you what power Jesus is talking about here. So Jesus, he's talking about this power that you need to have, it's required if you want to learn how to love in the midst of darkness. That's what he's talking about here. The power to put others before yourself. The power to be generous when resources are tight. The power to forgive when you are wrongfully accused. The power to lay down yourself for the sake of others. The disciples are wondering, what do you mean we're supposed to go and care for the people and pour out perfect love? We can't do that. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is gonna come here and give you the power to love selflessly. The Holy Spirit that God is sending to His disciples and continues to send to everybody, you and me, who is willing to receive it, it's going to start to transform you from the inside out. And when you welcome that Holy Spirit into your life, you're allowing God to carry you through some of the toughest challenges of your life so that He can shape you into someone that's more like Jesus. And that is the main point of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus poured out love to this world And he says, and so can you, if you let the Holy Spirit into your life. And finally, to cap off this long biography, Luke says this. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Blessing someone is something God did right before sending people out on a mission. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. In case you're wondering, this is an ancient Jewish imagery of someone being enthroned and it's exclusively found in the book of Luke. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Luke concludes by showing that Jesus is indeed the king that was prophesied. That he is legit and his teachings are reliable and his promises will never fail. This this is Luke doubling down on the main theme of his story. Jesus said that the world is worth saving and that there are many people who have been pushed aside by society, but God cares deeply for them. And he wants to repair and love these people through you, the reader of this book. But before you sign up for that task, you have to allow God to transform you. And that only happens if you first devote yourself to Jesus. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And through that transformation, you're going to be able to love the people around you in the way that Jesus loved the people in the book of Luke. So church, may you devote yourself to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to begin transforming you from the inside out. And may God continue to save this world that He loves so deeply through His people that so deeply love Jesus. And may the world experience heaven together. God bless.